Hey BSers, it's Chris Shorb, and you guys are about to hear episode 368 of Gaming and BS with Brett and Sean. But I wanted to leave a quick PSA. I've been leaving voicemails to Gaming and BS for a long time, and the reason I can do that is I've got their phone number in my contacts in my phone. The phone number is 929-BIG-DICE. That's 929-BIG-DICE. I could probably look that up, but you know, why do I have to? Because I can remember it. It's 929-BIG-DICE. And so feel, I recommend everybody should call in their comments because it'd be awesome to hear people's voices. Anyways, time to get on to the show. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's around and on board. Mr. Shorb, that was awesome. Thank you. Sean and I don't often plug the uh, the phone number, so I'm glad you threw it out there, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't. Uh, now we're going to get flooded with telephone calls and crank calls and all kinds of good stuff. That's is, okay. It's good for us. Yeah, it's good for us. That's fine. We can't get any more bizarre ass cold calls than I get on my cell phone on a week on a daily basis. Fair. People trying to sell people trying to sell me all sorts of stuff from you know cell phones to contracting services to SAP hosting all sorts of stuff. Yes, if at least trying to sell us gaming stuff. That'd be fun to listen to, right? I, I talk to that dude. <laughs> like, ah, anyway, Sean, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing all right, man. Can't complain. That's good. This is good. Did you get any gaming in since we talked last? I did run Forbidden Lands. Since it, our game fell on Thanksgiving, we had to run it. American Thanksgiving, I should specify. I mm-hmm. had to move it to like that Tuesday, I think we oh, did. Oh, pulled it up a little bit? Yeah. Um, so you played the same night I played uh, my Greyhawk game. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when, anybody die? Anybody die? No, no deaths. Oh. Though they did run into some bandits on the on the the road, and uh, they dispatched them fairly easily. I think these guys are, you know, I, I don't think I don't think some of these uh, normal encounters are gonna are gonna be too uh, threatening to them. I think it's gonna come yeah. down to um, probably a rainstorm. Probably you'll kill them. Cold. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, something when they're journeying through Something mundane. Yeah. You know, they'll have to forage for food and they'll roll a mishap and it'll be spoiled. Poison poison ivy, hypothermia, dysentery, and someone will get the shingles. God damn it. Take them right out. Yeah. There we go. I did uh, Greyhawk, as I alluded to, and the the gnome turned bugbear died. Um, He attempted to take a bag of devouring and stick it over the head of uh, the Demi-Lichisarak in the Tomb of Horrors. That did not go well for him, um, especially when they found out he didn't need to do that. They could have done something different, but he's like, I got it. Bam. Big explosion. People take damage. He dies. And, of course, his soul is sucked up into the uh, um, Fortress of Conclusion. Which of course. Is, uh, of course, as you do. Yeah, right. I think I may have said this last I'm positive I said this last episode. So... What I thought would happen, I could giggle at them about, is exactly what happened. They went all the way through the end. They got the second piece of the amulet from the Demulich's final crypt. They're like, oh my gosh, they, this, that, you know, they, somebody almost said the NPC got flattened and destroyed by the juggernaut. That's how my, you know, they, they, they finally get all these pieces. They put it together. They sat down and they wrote out the replacement cipher, you know, wrote out the alphabet, did the replacement cipher on the amulet, sorted it all out and realized that the gut instinct they had, 
at the beginning when they entered the tomb was right all along and they never should have had to go through everything they just went through if only they would have followed their instinct but it is what it is the um the bugbear or the gnome slash bugbear um has been replaced by a uh ninth level dwarven fighter so uh they found a gem which happens to have four high-powered um npc slash pcs in them when and they realize what happens is that once a player character dies the gem cracks and randomly they roll on a table roll a d20 and something pops out so they've got chances to get everything from um fighter thief magic user types high level druids paladins magic users all sorts of stuff so and then they step through the portal, and now they came to the uh, massive stone stela that's that sits there at the beginning in the uh, city that waits, the city of Moyle. And um, they're like, wow, this is... How the hell do we get out of here? <laughs> so that's where we're picking it up tomorrow. They're doing well. They're doing pretty well. They've only lost a few PCs, so not too bad so far. That's and the druid actually gained back a level after he's... I think he's... He keeps slowly but surely encroaching up a level and he'll be like hey I got a new level and someone dead will nail him and he'll lose two levels he goes god damn it so he finally creeped himself back up to where he was like eight sessions ago or something it's pretty good though and my kids have decided that they want to play Call of Cthulhu so um, I'll be I print out some character sheets for them today and I think um, Wednesday we'll probably be making characters and uh, do some little Call of Cthulhu stuff for them and also, I was telling Sean this at the beginning, I happened to, um, I was on Facebook and somebody had posted up some black and white um, drawings that they'd done about some horror in the woods. It's this wonderful thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. I could make a Delta Green adventure out of this. So it's been percolating in the back of my head for a few weeks now. And today over lunch, I'm like, I have it. So I cobbled together with the overall premise, location, bits and pieces, evidence, components. And so I think... I think once this is done, um, I'll have to run Delta Green for my guys up here for my group again. So that'll be fun. If nothing else, I'll make up for the fact that I totally fucked up and couldn't run Delta Green for the BSers. Like I run Delta Green for somebody in my usual Tuesday slot. So anyway. Oh, I should also say I actually, because um, we did not, we weren't able to make Game Hole Con. So the guys convinced me and Alpha to have. Um, on the 17th and 18th, that we all took that Friday off. Those of us were working. And uh, I'm going to run, start at like 10 a.m. I'm going to run Greyhawk until the end, all day. We got breakfast, lunch, dinner plans, the whole bit. That'll be fun. And then Saturday, we're going to go to Alpha's place, and we're going to finish up his uh, Out of the Abyss game. We'll finish that sucker up. Should be at the last big fight there. Then we're going to shoot pool, drink, and hang out. Should be a good time. Which will only whet my appetite for BS or Con, Sean. It's shaping up fairly well. Yeah. Yeah, is it? How, there. How's yeah. it looking? Still got some people uh, waffling around trying to figure out what they want to do. Oh, but. silly, silly, silly. So BS or Con, that's just go to our old website and find it there. Is that the best place to do it? Yeah, gamingnbs.com forward slash BS or Con. I think it's nice. will get you to the tabletop events website somebody dropped us an email and said hey i want to run events for bs or con what do i do where do i go so 
Uh, that's how. Or you can go to the forums or our Discord or our email. Just drop us a note. Or probably in these show notes, I could probably put them in there. You probably so, could. Yeah. But the dates were on Friday, January 28th, Saturday, January 29th, and Sunday, January 30th. We're looking at, he's got a big swath. Sean picked uh, 4 a.m. to 11.45 p.m. That's all Central Standard Time. And you pick that simply because we do have some people globally. Got some folks down in Australia and uh, UK and other locations. So it's conceivable. To, and we had some third shift workers, folks who like to stay up late, early, so on and so forth. So hopefully there'll be plenty of opportunity for folks to get in on some goodness. So we've got a paint room. Mm-hmm. That you just join whenever the hell you want and sit there and paint. You know, you can, you know, get your webcam on your painting <clears throat> brush or just on your face or not even have it on. Just hang out there. There are seminars that's being done by AWOL Trooper, who's going to do one on hex crawls. And then nice. I think Jim, I think Jim's doing one. Shoot. Is that on maps? I can't remember, but he's going to do one too. Cool. So, yeah. It's going to be fun. Fun, fun, fun. Awesome, awesome. Sweet, man. Any other news I think we need to pump or tell anybody about? No, but I got to hunt down Curtis Takahashi because he's the one that's supposed to intro our next episode and he hasn't provided a oh, file. Curtis, yet. So get on there, buddy. He, he, so far, everything like we've hit every week that we've had it and he's the only, like, for whatever reason, I think it's him. And then the next one is somebody else and they've already recorded there. So if he, uh, he's got to keep I'll the tell you, with the going. Ho- you know, with the holidays coming and a lot of stuff happening, it's really easy to forget that stuff. So, Curtis, when you listen to this, make sure you get it. In there if he's again. listening to this in a timely oh, fashion. Oh, God, I hope he is. <laughs> I'm like three months behind. No. Oh, shit, I'm late. That might be a problem. <laughs> I, I got right, his we'll, email. I'll hit him up. We'll pester him. We'll pester him. Are we good, man? Should we just random encounter it up? Get the row on the yeah, show? Yeah, let's get the random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. We got two voicemails and uh, an email this week. First one is a voicemail from DM Kojo. Hey, guys. It's DM Kojo. And I just thought I'd call in and chat with my favorite B and S. Um, little behind in the catalog, I'm afraid. I'm trying to get caught up, but... Uh, School year's kicking my butt, but uh, it's good. It's a good school year, and I'm glad to be teaching back face-to-face. Um, wanted to touch base about your episode um, about you meet in a tavern, but specifically what I'm talking to you about today is something you mentioned in the intro, which was that you had a show topic in mind about what to do when you can't roll your dice well. And, you know, this is certainly something that comes up, you know, for a lot of us. And so I wondered if it was possible for you to expand on that topic a little bit and maybe change the perspective of, you know, or address this perspective, I guess, of what constitutes, you know, fun and can you still have fun when your dice aren't rolling well and how can you roll with that and still enjoy your time playing and even though maybe your character is pathetically whiffing on all of their attempts to do any of the things you want to do. Um, This is something that um, I've tried to embrace and so when 
uh, things aren't going my way, I just find other goofy things to try and try to help the party in other ways, um, maybe than my traditional just rolling the dice things would do. So um curious to hear your take on that topic, so if there's a way to expand on that, that would be awesome. And if you already talked about it in an episode that I haven't listened to yet, I apologize, but I'll try to get caught up soon. All right, guys, you take care and have a good day. We have not covered it yet, Kojo. So I actually have that had that in my hopper, and I'm glad you brought it back up because I'm like, what the hell were we going to do? Because I know what next week's is. I'm like, what the heck was I going to do? We had another one out there, and boom, there it is. So episode 370, we'll be talking about when the dice hate us <laughs> and how we, how we deal with it. What do we do with that? So we'll put that out. That's com- that is definitely coming. So it's coming. It's coming. As if nothing else I know, both Sean and I, have um, put a D20 in our hands. We're players. You better get creative because it's not going to turn out well. <laughs> it's very it's very swingy. Am I right, John? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> D20s don't tend to go my way very, very often. <laughs> Thanks for the voicemail, DM Kojo. Uh, let's go to the next one, which is going to be Mr. Chris Shorb, doubleheader, intro, and then a voicemail. Very nice. Brett, Sean, it's Chris Shorb. How are you guys doing? Um, <clears throat> I was calling your most recent uh, episode about multiple expectations. You were talking about stars and wishes, and I wanted to just share that I recently did stars and wishes at my work. I didn't actually called stars and wishes but i had we were in, analyzing a process and i was talking to all the stakeholders about the process and for each of the groups of stakeholders you know the vps and the product managers and the engineering managers i would say hey what's working really well that would be your stars and then what would you wish we did di- better or differently and that was and i straight up did start i just didn't call it stars and wishes so just want to say that that sort of feedback loop is absolutely applicable across other aspects of my life, at least, and maybe other folks. Take it easy, guys. Bye. I'm in, I'm interested to know if Chris knew about that outside the RPG context, or if he just happened to grab it from. Well, there's a there's the a classic hobby. the the 180 or 360 feedback, whatever yes. you want to call it. I've I've heard them called both. Um, that you can get is like, hey, what's this person doing well? My new boss was uh, kind enough to say, hey, been here a month. Um, give me some feedback. And uh, which, is, which I thought was really nice. Um, we're all able to kind of go and say, hey, do this, do this, keep doing that, stop doing this shit, you know, blah, 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 blah. We uh, gave him crap, like, dude, you don't have to wear a tie. Nobody in the office wears a tie. Stop wearing a tie. So he did. <laughs> He's like, yeah, good call. I don't want to, I don't want to look like, a, like, like I'm stiff, right? I don't Read have, the room. You know? And he's a, he's a smart guy, and but it was uh, I think it's definitely it's a thing, but oftentimes we think about it from a um, like post game or post event or year end review in a job perspective. But to focus on gaming, we often talk about like, the campaigns over that session. It's over. Hey guys, what do you think? Hey, how'd that session go? But I think the concept that, that I like about the stars and wishes approach, Sean, that you're taking is it's setting you up for things down the road. You know, explicitly talking about that stuff you know they um you know i've said this before and i i'll i'll continue to say it is i think having some structure to how we're getting our feedback and how we're getting certain pieces of data can be very very helpful even if you um 
you feel it might be formulaic. Like I tend to like, oh, I don't want to follow a formula. I want to do my own thing. But there's a reason sometimes why you start with the formula, figure it out, and then change it once you understand it. You know, I think it, I think there's some good value in there, and I like that. I like that uh, info, Chris. So thanks, man. That was good. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Well, man, I'll tell you what. You can. Uh, I'll let you read this one. Uh, I'm here for you. Read Sean. this one, huh? Okay. I'll let you. Edwin Nagy writes in an email. Greetings. In last night's home game, I introduced a half dozen new NPCs. The party had cleared out a fey cockatrice cave, thanks Fantastic Layers, and several of the statues came to, uh, to back, back to life. This was an opportunity for conversation-based exposition. When I was stoned, the evil hobgoblin prince you speak of was just a babe with arms. Humor. The low-quality bard telling a shaggy dog story. Hooks. I was on a mission, maybe you can help. And story advancement, at least one of the NPCs has some dark intentions. Aside from having six people join the story in a relatively short amount of time and trying to keep each one interesting, how many times can you play out, I was a statue, how long, thanks for rescuing me. I also wanted to end up with the PCs trusting or liking some of the NPCs. But having some of the troublesome ones get under their radar without having a dishonest gotcha moment. I think it went well, and the party definitely seemed to enjoy when the Thanksgiving feast turned into one of the hosts getting framed for murder and one of the new NPCs unleashing a crossbow bolt into the shoulder of the king's ambassador. When next we play, I'll be curious to see uh, which side the PCs take in the ensuing brawl. Looking back on the evening as I wrote up my notes, I was thinking that there can be a lot to introducing NPCs as to what the whys and the hows, and perhaps it's time for another GBS episode on the topic. One resource I was pleased to have during prep was Nord Games' ultimate, ultimate NPC's Skullduggery. Happy gaming, Edwin. Edwin, that's a damn good topic, man. I'm definitely going to add that one into the list. I think there's there can be... The fact that you pulled in six of them right there, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty awesome, man. Because I... Um, when I talk to um, some game masters and stuff and um, this type of story would come up like, yeah, we had six NPCs or I had a big room full of blah, blah, blah. Running multiple NPCs at the same time can be very challenging. It really can be, especially if you want to make them memorable slash different. You know, if you're not good at doing voices or you like doing voices, but can't always remember who you gave what to it, it, <clears throat> doing it quickly on the fly. All that, I mean, how much prep did you do? So on and so forth. All of that can be uh I get pretty fucking daunting, man. I mean, you know, two, three people, easy, but half dozen or more, whew, that could be a lot of uh, a lot of voices, NPC, just stuff happening all at once that can kind of throw the the players for a loop, trying to keep track of who said what or how they said it, you know. Yeah. Have you done the whole big uh, NPC mob like that? Yeah. I'm saying six of the mob, but you've done it, introduced all like a whole bunch of them. Yeah, I had uh, I had a a group. Was it? Let's see, it was. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, I think six, five or six. Yeah. It was a uh, group of adventurers that came into Eden's outpost and, um, yeah, they all came in at once. And then, um, the leader went and talked to the kind of the proprietor and then the rest sat at a table and was kind of shooting the proverbial ship amongst each other. And then some of the party members engaged 
won or observed them or whatever the case was and trying to determine who's who and what's what. Like I, I gave each one more of a one kind of trait for for them to latch on. So there was one that was kind of the 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 kind of skul, you know skulking you know real serious gruff guy, and then there was the one that was the the womanizer, charming, Mister Handsome, and yeah, then one was yeah, kind yeah. of like mouse from the matrix you know kind of a yeah gotcha the nerdy guy the little timid nerdy guy and then a woman who was well aside from just being the only woman in that group she was kind of a a no take no shit type of person in the group and then yeah (laughs) so it was and then of course one was troy who they seduced and then ultimately (laughs) He he fell in love with one of the characters. Well, there's always the classic too that you'll get. You know, new player character gets introduced to the party. We don't trust that person. Ah, oh, we don't trust he, she, they. We're not going to trust them. We're not going to never allow them to be one of us. You're like, it's Sean's character. Come on, get Sean. Play. No, no, he must earn our. Tr- oh, for fuck's sake! You can have the same thing happen to your NPCs too. You know, where the players just don't never want to talk to anybody or whatever. We'll talk about that though in, in the upcoming episode. I think it's a damn good idea. Edmundsville. I just cobbled together something real quick to make sure I don't forget. So yeah, that's forthcoming. I like that idea. That's yeah, good stuff. It's good. Thanks, good on Edwin. you, man. Hey, yeah. And if you've got tips or Edwin, Edwin or anybody else, honestly, feel free to hit us up with what you've done. If you got a tip or a trick, throw it in there right away. Um, we'll do our best to grab those and kind of incorporate them into our discussion too. So if you've got some ideas on that, throw it at us. It'd be cool stuff. Cool. Was well, that it? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Well, hot damn, let's move on, man. Let's go into the main topic. What are we talking about this week, Brad? So, Sean, one of the things that you and I have been chatting about, we talked about this a little bit last week, is like, hey, you know, do we like system setting? What draws us to a game and so forth? And now that we've got the game, right, and we've got whatever it is, the new game, whatnot, there's usually a system that goes with it. And I think some of the debate that you and I have had um, where I troll you or you troll me or we just have a good-natured fun back and forth. I think we have a different, much like I thought we had a difference in what drew us to a game, setting your system. I'm My current stance is that I think you want your gaming system to do more work natively than I do. You want a more complete system, a system that you want to have to do less design on the fly. You want to have a uh, a more robust type of system environment. That's my going in posit and positing that is like I think that's true. Versus versus what I do, which is like I need a core mechanic, and I'm done. You know. So the reason I'm <laughs> the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think sometimes you know when we look at. I honestly think a lot of uh, a lot of the conversation I have with different people at conventions and my friends and other folks, um, not only just my local gaming group, but other gamer friends I have online and stuff. People talk about a game system and why they like it is often that the game system is solving a certain type of problem in an elegant, effective or some way that they enjoy. Right. So let's say we've talked about chase mechanics. Let's say you're like, fuck, I hate this chase mechanic. I can't stand this one. But you know what? I really like the way that Gumshoe did it in Knights Black Agents. That's just a really fun 
I like that. Grappling. D&D grappling. Or, you know, hey, I really... Good God, I hate having this weird sub-game. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think... I think that that's maybe part of what I know. Because Sean and I will talk about, like, hey, I really like this game, Brett. Oh, really? Why is it, Sean? Sean, so it does this really well. And I'll smile, and Sean will be like, yes, Brett, I know. You could do the same fucking thing with any other game system you own, you dick. You know, or he'll say, or something less polite. Um, <laughs> so, Sean, when you buy your new game, your new system, whatever, do you have, is there a sweet spot, a level of, um, so let me think on like a continuity scale. There's the three zero three five Pathfinder one, where I'll simplify this and using those as um, just kind of boil, you know, benchmarks of a rule for everything, right? Where there's a lot of detailed rules which you can and can't do in an action, and you know, in combat, and this and this and this. Between that and something like I don't know. A diceless game like Amber. You've never played Amber, but it's like, whatever. Explain stuff. It's very made up, very, you know, I don't know if rule of cool is the only rule type of thing. Um where do you like your where do you like your system, man? Do you like um or do you have a certain thing that you like? Hey, look, man, if this game is about hex crawl exploration, I expect it to do that really, really well. And eh, you know, you, you know what I mean? Follow, you follow me, Sean, or am I totally missing? <laughs> I follow you, man. All I right, follow so. you anywhere you go, Brett. <laughs> All right. you, so what? Because you so, put deer piss on yourself and go hunting. <laughs> I don't put deer piss on myself. Oh, I just I don't I don't stink naturally. I'm just oh, awesome. Okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. that's why you do it so you don't stink naturally. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. it's a cover scent. I got you. Use. Cover scent. Got it. Cover scent. Yes. I thought it might have been cologne. My own natural um, hunter's musk is powerful enough. I draw the animals to me just by dint of my being in the wilderness. Um, different, dis- different subject for a different podcast. Anyway, point is, 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 how do you, how do you like your system, Sean? Do you like super detail? What what level of it do you like? Um, I fluctuate. Okay. And I'm okay playing. That's a, that, that's a really nice way to say it depends. With that, it is that's, right. I, I, find, yeah. I find that that try not to overuse that word. That's all right. It's okay. But it's a you know cyberpunk red has a lot of skills. It doesn't have a ton of subsystems necessarily because you're usually okay. doing you know it's a skill you you pass fail, and there's a lot. And at the same time with. Um, Free league based games, there's a skill that's tied to an attribute, but it's dice pool. So the okay. a lot of what you're trying to accomplish in there, again, not a ton of unique subsystems necessarily. But I don't have a problem. I mean, I can, I, I have an appreciation for, I mean, old school essentials. I mean, it's back behind me above my head and I wouldn't mind running that where it's like okay describe what you're trying to do sounds good you know what is your background or um, you know roll what's under- your, which is your preference which is your preference though because you give you were giving me some shit like these basically you were saying at one point a modern game design is better no no right no. <laughs> you did say gonna, that I'm gonna freaking brain you man that's not what I said I know. I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. I'm totally. Oh. 
<laughs> I'm getting wound up. I'm getting wound up. No, I'm kidding. I'm curious because when you say uh, that you vacillate a little bit, is um, I think that makes sense to me because um, you've played Gumshoe, Trail of Cthulhu, and you've played Call of Cthulhu. You've played Delta Green. Do you... Um, Big list of skills. I mean, even Gumshoe has a fair list of skills. It does, right? but I've only played it like once or twice. Maybe. True, true. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm what I'm saying though is for that for that genre, perhaps I could see where somebody may say, "Look, for my horror games, I really like this this type of skill mechanic system. I really want to make sure that there's a list of skills." And somebody may say, "Hey, for my fantasy adventure game, I want to play something like DCC. Man, there are no skills." Right, it's just difficulty classes based on argument. You know, like I grew up as a fisherman, therefore I know how to do fishing, or I know how to tie knots, or something. Right, right. That's that's how it kind of rolls with that, and that's how I. But is that is that how you kind of look at a game and say, "Hey, it's a fantasy game"? Do you have a level of mechanic work that you're like, "Hey, I want this game to really cover and really run"? You know, I want to have a checklist of stuff for that, or. This is a hard much, one. I it's know because it, it's a hard one because there isn't any definitive answer for me personally because I have an appreciation for all of those types of games. Like I have, very cool. if it was DCC, unless or, it has descending, unless it has descending, armor unless class. it's got that go. If, if it has descending armor class, Sean is out of it. If there's got a it. chart for it. He's done. House okay. rule number one. <laughs> uh changing sorry, that shit you. right away. Interrupt. Interrupt. Yes, sir. It has to do with like um, so DCC OSE or uh, and if somebody were to say, you know, I I think I would know this because I'm I, I was a baker, a gong farmer, or whatever. Yeah, great, sounds good, and that's not a rule necessarily. It's that's kind of the deal, and that I justify my knowledge because of this. Great, yes, and that's fine. And I like that, and I would support it, but the problem is you got to get the players that are on board with understanding that. Because if you if you don't if you have players that are going from, hey man, I've played Pathfinder originally, and then but I've never played some of these older school games, so how, how do I do anything? Because there's no skills. So they have a hard yes. time mm-hmm. like coming up on their own to justify the answer. Right. Like they don't come up with that. Well, because I'm a gong farmer, I should know this. And and as the game master, I would say, you know what? That's a good point. That's valid. Absolutely. Let me tell you. Or give me an intelligence roll under your intelligence. Oh, OK. Yep, so I have a that's fine. But if I don't have a group or a, a, a couple players that can't grok that, then it's I don't necessarily think it's the rules or my 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 preference because at that point, I'm like, I'm running. It'll that will drive me nuts. Like, I'll just be like, this this game is. I'm running the wrong game for the wrong people. Ah, I like I like what you're saying there, and I think I think what's interesting because I'm listening to you, and I'm I'm absolutely agreeing with you, and I, I like this I like this <clears throat> perspective you're giving me here because wrong game for wrong group or wrong group of people, right? So. Game being good or bad, very, very subjective, right? I like this. I don't like that. I really yeah. like Savage Rolls. I don't like Savage Rolls. I really like whatever. But so this is where, you know, and we've talked about this before, where it irritates the shit out of me when somebody goes, oh, you want to do it? you got to play Blades of Dark for Heist. 
you can't run a heist with anything else type of you know people will do that you know and in, in the twitter verse right you get your 120 characters and they just tell you to <laughs> tell you how wrong you it's are it's 240 uh, dope <laughs> yeah 240 whatever it is the people can usually tell me i'm wrong in less than less than 240 um anyhow point is <laughs> is that's interesting because like um it's part of like a session zero thing getting buy-in like if you're going to play an old school type of game where there's no skill system you know dcc is old school style right no skill system Right, or if you're going to play um, a game like Gumshoe, we have a pretty extensive skill list. However, the way you spend the points are different, right? The way you care, the way you have the care and feeding for those points are different. If you're playing Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green, that horror role-playing game has percentile skills, so good you new know, numbers in the right areas, blah 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 blah, and and having that list can be very very effective and I, I think what can what can be troublesome in some cases is where for me having a good core mechanic when i say a good core mechanic for brett's um when i my definition of a good core mechanic is one that spans most of the game's environment dungeons and dragons is a d20 now, the older systems had percentiles and different dice and so forth but in your 3.0 and on and then 5e which I think is very well designed. It's a D20. Boom. That's what you're using for, you know, roll roll this number or above. That's it. That covers most of it. If you can come up with a thing, um, use that core mechanic, it should get you out of most of your jams. And the reason I like that, Sean, I, I didn't think about it quite frankly until you put it that way, is that because when I'm running that game where I've got one person who describes the hell out of everything, Right. And I can just say, okay, roll this thing. And they're they're doing something that's kind of sort of alchemy, kind of sort of arcane. Fuck it. Use this, give me a die roll, blah, blah, blah. And I do have a player on the other end of the table or right next to that person. And they're like, um, can I just roll spot? Yes, you can. Right. Some people really like that. And some people want to have more description. And I think that a good core mechanic for Brett's money is one that I can apply for both of those cases and the players don't feel like one style of play is trumping another one right where the person who's very verbose and descriptive gets away with where the person who only uses their skill list is getting more better you know what i mean so i, I think that because if i have a solid core mechanic that covers all the bits and pieces of it but not all the bits and pieces, but like I said, just flows over the top of everything. I'm like, okay, cool. For me, gumshoe, it's, you know, if it's like you spend a point, or if you're rolling the D6, it's a four or above. Um, but anyway, I, I like, I think that's where I like the good core mechanic is because if it covers enough of all the right pieces and parts, right, there might be a little subsystem in there and somebody kind of wants to grapple, but kind of not. I just want to hold his hand and just delay him for two seconds. I'm not really grappling him. You know, I, by the rules, I could make them do a grappling check, right? But I decide, you know what? That's a little off, kind of, sort of. I'll tell you what. Give me an athletics check. Get, yeah, do that. You know, it's not really a grapple check. It's just this one little thing I'm doing. Um, or on the other hand, somebody's very comfortable with that, so I'm going to grapple them, right? And they want to go full in because they understand the rules, the mechanics, and so on and so forth. So, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> That's interesting because I honestly, I honestly thought the way 
that you were looking at some of these systems. Like, um, let's take Forbidden Lands, for instance. One of the things that you and I talked about is I'm like, you know, it has a checklist, right? Like every day you do blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm making it, I'm oversimplifying it. And yeah, yeah, when you journey. Itself. Yeah, when you're, when you yeah. journey. Yes, when you're exploring. Yeah. And in other games that aren't quite as detailed, some of it's on me as game master, on the players or a combination of, to remember different things or input. And, you know, I don't have a formula to follow in some cases. You know, a very specific mechanic for it. Some games do not have that. Um, so I could definitely see where, we've talked about this before, where your love of that game system is like, look, an exploration mechanic, as it's built, it in, it invokes and creates a, um, a repeatable thing, right? Feeling, events, approach, and everything else. So there's some power in that. But I don't know enough of that game. That that mechanic is different than like fighting and skill checks. Is that true? Nope. Nope. Same mechanic. Okay. So that core mechanic just used. Okay. So all right. That that's cool. That's attractive. Yeah, you want like to. I said, you want to melee somebody. You roll melee. You you know. There's a movement. You know. There's an there's a movement economy to it mm. and there's range increments but in the end it's it's dice pool and you what you're trying to achieve you how many you know you okay. have a, how many points do you have in the skill that's how many d6s you get if there's none you get zero for this you get no dice for the skill gotcha then you go to the ability that corresponds to the skill how many you, you're gonna have points in that otherwise you're broken so you might be one could be all the way to six but Typically, four is on the high end, and so, so if you're, hey, I'm gonna hit this person. Same mechanic. If you're journeying and you're leading the way, same same, same deal, right? And it's so there is some type. There are times when you're gonna do an opposed, which you know, then it's not sixes and ones are successes and failures to to some degree. Well, actually, everything's a failure except a six ones will really get you into trouble mm. after you push you know but that a lot of the game is that's kind of it like these guys aren't every once in a while you'll roll a d8 or <laughs> you know a d6 uh not a d6 a d8 or a d12 because they have I, different levels of the resource yep. And that's different because that's not a skill check. That's just, do I have the resource or not? Roll a die. If I roll a one to two, I'm screwed. You know, then it goes down. That's one of the few that kind of bumps it down. Um, but magic, you know, same thing. They're kind of, you know. Build a pool. Build a pool. Cast cast the spell. I like um, Well, the things I like about this, that it kind of, the reason I'm kind of trying to chuckle quietly here is because I'd love to say, my first thought was, boy, having a core mechanic like that or a D20, always pretty much always roll a D20 to do something, except for damage, right? right. It's always a D20 to do something, or it's always this dice pool of D6. Boy, that'll sure make it easier for the players, but there's always a couple players who are like, which of these dice do I roll? And you just kind of look at them like, dude, really? <laughs> I mean, but if nothing else have, for me, I like, you know, to not, I, I like to have the simplicity of it, right? When they're going to attack somebody, I don't have an armor class. Mm. Like, there's no, their target numbers are sixes. Like that's it, period, yep. end of discussion. And if they don't, 
produce enough. So when they do attack and they, you know, usually the fighter types are going to buff up a lot of their melee skill and, you know, there's talents that are going to be able to play a role in that as well. So when you get somebody like, you know, Phil's dwarf, who's going to roll, you know, 10 D six dice, you'd be surprised at how little, sometimes how many, uh, sixes may or may not show up. Actually, yeah. Well, if you've got my your my luck with dice, it give me a salad bowl full. I'll roll, you know, more twos than you've ever seen. Just watch me play Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Yeah. So, let me ask you this one. So that's like core. That's like some of the mechanic stuff. The other piece around system is um. Um. So, so stars and wishes. That's not a mechanic in your game. That's an outside influence that you're using. Correct. Right. Um, it's not written into the game. And perhaps and positive somebody out there will say, yes, this type of mechanic is in this game, is in this game. It's just it's written in. Do you is there a limit to the amount of outside influence, ideas, approaches, and so forth that you want to put into a game? So the reason I bring this up is because I like to tinker, right? I like to do a little design, a little build this, try this. Honor. Yeah, it's which is no different than I mean, that, that's how Knights Black Agents came to be. Ken Hyde took Gumshoe and just bolted a whole bunch of shit together. Okay, and it was playtested and so on and so forth, but it that's design work. I mean, it's like developing an adventure or building anything. I mean, a lot of times we write them up, and the first time we playtest is the first time it hits the table. <laughs> it's just playtested, like, I hope this fucking works. We just kind of slide out there. But I like to do that stuff. So if I'm like, ooh, I will say something like, ooh, I could do that in d and I bet you I could use this piece and make that work in my D&D game. And I don't think that's your preference. I think you prefer to... Um, there's certain things from the outside you'll bring in, like a Stars and Wishes perspective, but I don't feel like you want to bring in... You want to, You do not want to. This is Brett's opinion. Sean does not want to go in and take the nice black Asian chase mechanics and convert them to Savage Worlds or convert them to Forbidden Lands or convert them to anything else because you'd be like, why, why would I do that? I, I'm going to pl- go play a different game then. Is that a true, is that perception of mine true or, or that, am I off? For the mo- most part, you know, the stuff that I would probably bring into the game is to um, probably, you know, this weekend I, I talked about this dilemma about somebody posting Saul's Weedle. I mentioned it in the last episode where mm-hmm. Eric was on Twitter, guy got captured by a mob boss, you know, and they had him surrounded and he spit in the mob boss's face and the mob boss, that's it. Like they rolled attack rolls and killed the player character. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, hey, what does everybody think of this stuff, right? Because the, the, yeah. the victim of that posted on Reddit and said, hey, this is what happened. Is you know this is my first D and D game or something like that? Is this how it rolls? Somebody on Twitter wrote up something kind of addressing that, which is now I can't remember the damn terms, but it was like an endangering action, right? An endangering action and something, some other term. And what they said was they were going to define both of these terms, right? An endangering action is. And will lead to uh, heavy wounds, possible death. So instead of just saying, are you sure? 
you want to do that, which is usually the red flag some of us hone in on, right? Yeah, because if you've been around for a while, and the, when the game master looks at you, goes, you should, that's you, Sue, that's what you're really doing. You're spitting in his face. You're Let positive. me get this clear. You want to do this. positive you're going to hock a loogie and hit that guy in the left eye. Right. That's what you're doing? Right. All right. Now, the <laughs> trouble with yeah. that approach, which I mentioned, is that the person that you address that to is not understanding the severity of what they're doing. They they they, they yeah. are, but they don't How think well you're do going to kill them. Yeah. How well do they know Brett, the game master, Sean, the game master, you, the game master? How well do they understand the game, the system? Every day, this is the first time this has ever happened. And is that language even very clear to them? And so, yeah, having a, in, this is an endangering, you're taking an endangering step, right? Defining right. something like that. Yeah. I, I could probably yeah. actually find it in like a matter Not of like that. seconds. Um, because it's so anyway, the, so why are you telling me this? Well, the reason I bring this up is, is it's endangering action and points of no return. Thanks, Aaron. Yep. And the reason, so those are things that I would bring into my game. Those are an example of things that I would bring into my game that clear, it kind of clarifies more of the interpretation piece. It, it doesn't those are some leave, GM. Those are some GM playing, playing tips and tricks that are just really good. Yes. Right. Right. It's good They're, language. It's a yes. good way to be descriptive, clear right. and consistent. I like right. it. Right. Yes. Yes. They're not a mechanic like, oh, would you like the car chase rules from Savage Worlds and then use that for your dead Well, that's a bad example because Deadlands is Savage Worlds. But, you know, to your, to your, you know, Knights Black Agents game. Yep. I'm not that kind of guy, though I can see if it does work better and people understand that specifically because... In some games, the chase mechanics totally suck, or they don't get thrown out very often. So when the chase occurs, and it's like, all right, everybody, time out, chase is, in, chase is happening now. Yeah. Everybody gather around, chase is occurring. So it usually, because of the, in my experience, the not so frequent use of the chase mechanics, whether they're native to the game or you know the native ones, if it has it, mm. since they don't get broken out very often, somebody says, "Hey, look, here's the deal. I've run chases in, you know, Knights Black Agents. They're okay, but I prefer to use the one that's out of Savage Worlds, and this is why. So this is the way we're going to kind of roll. We're going to do this." Yep. Most players are probably going to not give a rip, right? Because they're going to be, unless they're like, oh boy, goody, I always loved the Black Knights Black Agents chase. I built my character specifically to to deal with Knights Black Agents chases. He's right. Now you have nerfed this person's ability and she can no longer be the wheel person I wanted her to be. Yes. yes, I'm the wheel person, but then you don't take my wheel person skill into effect because you're yep, using yep, yep, Savage yep. Worlds and that doesn't translate over well. So now instead of getting this huge boon and the cherry, right, the cherry is a yep. mechanic. And, the and, cherry, there's, and there's there's a lot of work in that, right? So if you look at like DCC um, and Savage Worlds, they both put all Lankmar stuff, right? So I have DCC Lankmar. And right. um, if I were to sit down and say, all right, I want to run a Lankmar game, I have... D, I have Savage Worlds, I've got DCC, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got. My crew and I decide we'll play with DCC. Great. To sit down and really make it feel like a Lankmar game, 
there's probably some stuff I'd want to go through the rules and trim and change and add, delete. But granted, Goodman Games done went and did that for me. So that's awesome, right? So they made some adjustments. They've got free, fleeting luck and different components and pieces that try to invoke and uh, re- reinforce and underscore the tones, which is great. You know, it's kind of, um, I can tell a horror game in D&D, even if it doesn't have a actual horror mechanic. And I'm not talking about like a 5e, um, uh, there's some stuff in the uh, DMG, some of the add-on stuff. I'm talking like first edition or even second and so forth. There's there's stuff out there people have made, built, whatever. Um, so I can, I can see where people like yourself may not want to, would want to take like the... The skills and ideas of like, hey, concise descriptions and so forth and carry that in. Stars and wishes. Um, safety tools. Like, hey, that's a cool thing. I'm going to bring that in there. That's a good thing to use. Even if the game itself doesn't have those. There is something to be said for um, if the group and you are not comfortable with Brett tinkering with the rules, you know, add changing and delete uh, mechanical stuff. Um, bringing in different things like, hey, we're going to roll D10s instead of D6 for initiative because I got this wacky idea. Um, it, it can be it can be cumbersome. It can be clunky. It can not be a lot of fun. And it, it has to be something you like doing, right? So so let me ask you th- this one. Like, So I look at um, GM intrusions. Okay. That is native to the... To the uh, Cipher system, native to cipher system. Um, basically, mechanically telling the game master they are allowed to mess with, interact with, do do specific things, right? Tricky, sketchy. Oh my gosh! Oh, well, what horrible thing could happen here? Um, I've often I've said this to you. Like, I don't need that mechanic to do that. I could in take that concept and use it as a GM tip or trick, right? Um, much like we've talked we talked about this ages back. Like, well, let's see. Your character is either going to die or you sacrifice your plus three plate mail. Mm. Oh, geez. Okay. That's not a mechanic, but I'm actually, I, I, it kind of is, right? I'm, I'm interposing. I'm doing like a GM thing. I'm stepping in. I'm, I'm changing. I'm altering the conditions of the test, right, in some way. Um is that a type of mechanic that you would feel comfortable pulling in? Are there certain types of them that you would like a GM intrusion or something along those lines, other than like descriptive ways to be better game master, better ways to be, you know, narrative flow and plot and so forth. Would you take ideas like that, that change something? So let's, let's just use the granddad. Let's use D and D, right? You smash my character down. I'm dead. And you say, well, or, you're unconscious and I broke your Holy Avenger. What do you want more? This, you know, you dead or no sword type of thing. Is that something you would, is that attractive to you? Or do you think, and eh, rather doesn't feel like it'd work. Uh, if it's, well, what, what D and D system are we talking about? Is it fifth edition or are we talking? Sure. Older Let's stuff? go five, five E. If it's five E, then I, I don't have a problem with the negotiation piece. I mean, if it's a if it's up to a character death and they you know could lose this precious item or or live, uh, yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's a hard and fast rule though. To me, 
Oh, I'm just saying it could be, though. Sure. Because once you, you introduce something like, like that at the table, right? So you're playing 5e and you decide it's either that or you're plus three sword or you're, or you're that staff of the Magi that you've been carrying around for a while. Boom, it's gone. So the fighter doesn't have something like that. But he says, I'll lose my left eye to stay alive. I'll let you chop off my character's arm. I'll lose a hand, right? So once you open the negotiation once, it becomes a thing. It can, it can happen. I've I've done this. I've seen this happen at the table. Um, so that's where I guess sometimes the reason I'm asking you this, Sean, is because I, I, I think it illustrates a couple of things. One, ask you, is that something you would entertain? But two, not the danger of it, but the uh, the reality of taking a tool like that and implementing it. Other people will take it and use it, and they're going to push the rule a little bit, right? You know, I'm not supposed to leave this room, but if I lean outside the room to look around the corner, is that really leaving the room because my feet are still in there? Is that leaving the room or, is it, you know, kind of the toddler thing <laughs> in a way, you know, you tell your dog to sit and stay and they just kind of creep just one with one little scotch closer. Like, did he really stay or did he? No, he kind of didn't, you know. So is that anyway, back to my question, is that something that you would want that you'd be okay with doing that level of on the fly rules stuff on the fly stuff? Maybe to some degree, a GM and like in, in, I, I wouldn't be more, I wouldn't probably inject something like GM intrusions as a standard, unless I was playing Cypher. Because sometimes I think when you start getting into some of those things, unless it's like a one-off, maybe you just mm -hmm. like like the chase mechanics. See, some of those, oh, man. Many of the things that I would say, okay, that makes sense, no problem. I would be more acceptable or more apt to bringing in and tackling, like bringing in or bolting onto my game would be subsystems. Ah, like, I like that. Okay. Right. That, instead like, of, hey, instead it's of a impacting subsystem, the core. It's not at the core, yeah, right? Yeah. Instead of impacting a, the core activity. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you. it was a GM intrusion, well, then why aren't I playing Cypher system? So I'm with you there, man, because when I looked at one of the things that, like I said about Simba Room, it attracted me to the world. I'm like, ooh, that was my first, wow, this is this is the grittiness, the dark, the the wilderness pieces, all this cool dark face shit that, that I groove on. And I'm like, ooh, it also is all player-facing dice. That's really cool. Could Brett go through and make D&D &D a player-facing dice system? Absolutely. Why not just play Simbroom at that point? Because there's a level of um, there's a level of extra work I'd have to do. So I I think I think I'm with you, man. I think the um, when I talk about oh, I could make it do that, or I could do this, I could do that. I when I say that, my bolt-ons, quite frankly, Sean, I think my bolt-ons are subsystems. Like, hey, look, I could do a D&D &D game and uh, a horror game, and I would do it like this. Or I could do, you know, there's in the DMG, there's honor, and I think there's um, there's willpower, fear, there's terror stuff in the DMG Yes, there well. are. Yes, there are. Yeah, there's options. They call them there's optional options rules. In, yes. There's optional rules in there. Right. Older versions of it. I could even take one and, and I could add a, I could go straight to Call of Cthulhu and take a sanity mechanic and bolt that on there because it's not that big a deal right it's sure. a bolt-on component i think that is um i don't mind doing that um 
And I, I, I don't mind doing it insofar as that I will build the campaign concepts and so forth and have all those bolt-ons ready and tell the players up front. Right? So I will sure. sit down and say, hey, I'm going to do this. And for this campaign, we're going to use X, Y, and Z subsystem that I've welded on the side here. Not, excuse me, not just a, um, well, we ran into a chase, fuck it, use the chase from Savage Rolls because we know that one better. I'm talking about like permanent upfront, I have welded this stuff onto the side. Not bolted on, dude. It's like welded on. You know, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. are you comfortable? Are you comfortable doing that, or if that, or is that the point where you're like, look, if I'm gonna just, if I'm gonna modify this game with a bunch of add-ons, and maybe there's a limit for you, then I want to play something else. Is that kind of how you look at it? Uh, no, I would be, <laughs> I would be open to. I mean, like I, you know, there's a part of me that has talked about five E, and everybody thinks I hate it. I don't hate. No, fifth you, don't, edition. you do not hate fifth edition. You just want having more fun playing other stuff right now. It's all good. But what I would probably do is, depending on the campaign that I would want to run, I would probably implement some of those optional rules from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Whether it's like, you know, Blake Ryan's talking about Curse of Strahd using using the sanity rules from Call of Cthulhu. You know, maybe? I don't know. You know, I guess possibly. I don't think I would rule it out completely. I would probably look at, you know... um, what was the lingering injuries, right? That I would yep. put on, right? I yep. may strip out the skills. Then somebody would say, well, then why are you playing fifth edition? I can tell you because I'm pitching it to other people. It's a, it's a mental thing. Yes, you and I would know that, but marketing Sometimes it to I, somebody else, it's like, oh, well, fifth edition, other, not a big deal. I, I'm taking out the skills. Well, the other component is that the uh, the core mechanic is still there. It's a D20, D20 with a, dar- with a target number. They call DCs or whatever the hell you want to right. call it, but it's just a target number. It's a D twenty with a target number, and if you, which covers ninety percent of, if not a hundred percent of all the stuff in that game, right? If you were to say, well, the D twenty covers everything except for spells. For spells, I'm going to use this two D twelve plus or minus a D four and a deck of cards, <laughs> right? Yeah, somebody's going to look at. Uh, okay. Interesting, maybe-ish. All right, okay. Um, in the in the ancient days, I remember a friend of mine was big on mana. He had ma- he had a mana system fully built out. These cobbled in from Arduin Grimoire and all these other things around it, because he didn't like memorizing spells. Fancy and magic and D hated it, so he came up with a with a mana system. It it was from our for all intents and purposes for us, it worked. Like okay, that's cool. The fighter was still kick-ass. The rangers were still awesome. But the wizards and the clerics just had this mana thing, and they could kind of flex and do whatever. Great. Really didn't, we did not notice any impact to our style of play or whatever happened for us. But in a game where you're going to say, hey, instead of rolling to, you know, that was a game, too, where you didn't roll to hit for um, for spells, right? Where in 5e you are rolling to hit right. for certain spells, and some yeah. spells you don't, and saves... And you could say, well, we're going to have a special saving throw for this type of magic and this version of 5e, and it's done with D6s. And you know, then it gets kind of wonky. When you intrude heavily on that core mechanic, I think that might be where both you and I kind of draw a line. You know? It, well, that specific 
example is when you start, I mean, you got to make sure, because you're kind of futzing with probably a specific player. Yeah, you could very well be, especially when you think about it. I like that thought, man, because if you're looking at four or five players, max, right? there's usually one spellcaster, i.e. a wizard, warlock, somebody, and you've just fucked with them. Yeah, you kind of because you changed it around. Yeah, you've kind of turned their (laughs) class upside down on their head, and maybe it's not that bad. But they, I mean, that's the thing. That's the expectation piece. If you're gonna go, hey, I'm Mm -hmm. Brett, and we're gonna play AD and D. But guess what? We're not using Vancey and Magic. We're gonna use Mana Pool, and I'm Wizard guy, Magic user. And you're like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So Sean, this is gonna be really cool. And I go, okay. Now. One of the problems some game masters have is they don't explain shit, and it's all in their brain. It's not documented. So I'm kind of having to go with how Brett determines how my shit works. Yes. Which really is gets effed up really quick if people don't do it right. Yep. So I think where I'm at, what I actually do is- All right, this is what I'm going to do, Brett. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, you, do you have enough? Don't you remember what I told you four sessions ago? Do yeah, you've got to have, have some mana more mana, side. Sean. You only have like two mana. That one costs four mana. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Hey, I got. How do I get mana? <laughs> you never told me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. I forgot. Anyways. So I like. Uh, and I'm like how am I going to do right. that? Shit. I don't want to do so, that. <laughs> God damn. This sucks. All right. Okay. Next session. So when we buy when we buy a new game, we look at it, we say, hey, I like the setting. The setting's pretty cool. That kind of captures us. Then the system itself, for me, I think, I honestly think, Sean, we're more alike than I thought we were here, is that we want a good core mechanic. What? You don't like no, that? You don't want to be like me? Come on, I'm cool, man. <laughs> My mom says I'm cool. Um, but having a core mechanic that is um, actually core, right? We're... Um, it's D20s. It's a pool of D6. It's percentiles. It's, you know, 90% of the time, this is what gets me out of my jam. By having that, if I want to bolt something onto it, I think it becomes a little bit easier, right? Because I kind of know what what I'm, what I'm I would be butting up against. Because if I futz with that core mechanic that covers so much that I'm, you know, kind of worried about it. I can tell you, though, when I, when I look at a game like first edition... AD&D or BX or back me and so forth. There are so many different variations of what's there's D6 checks. There are percentile checks. There are um, roll 20 for different things and, and so on and so forth. So I think one of the reasons why that environment for my money anyway is quote unquote easy to hack up is because having potentially drastically different subsystems or mechanical approaches to it, yeah, to skills or whatever. Well, we always check skills as basically decide, determine the skill based on the stat, roll your stat runner on D20. And somebody else says, well, we always did stat runner on 3D6. Okay, it's kind of the same, but what happens when somebody has a, you know, it's just different. But you can do that because it's kind of a wonky system anyway was lots of different mechanical ways to get the result of pass fail or sort of pass sort of fail, you know what I mean? Well, if you have any, a game system now with a more unifying um, core mechanic, I think the argument that you've given me, like, well, then you're not playing that game, Brett. Why don't you play this other game? Or how come? It sounds like you really actually want to play this other thing. You should try that. 
I think what you're really telling me, Sean, is that this other game has a core mechanic that covers not only what you're talking about, but everything else, and it's going to make your life easier. I think that's what you're trying to tell me. Possibly. Possibly. What do you possibly. mean? Possibly. I mean, I don't know, because you might like... You don't know what I you're like telling me? I doing shit the hard way. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I do, actually. <laughs> I like algorithmic uh, random tables of... <laughs> Cosine, sine, and, you know, tangent. Yes, exactly. Divide by pi, take by the... So generally speaking, though, um, you're not one... I think I like to tinker more with my system, so I think I'm more forgiving of certain systems than you are. Maybe. I, I Maybe. mean, I suppose I get to some degree. Well, I think... I, I just don't think that every game is AD&D. And then no. everything, and then everything bolted onto it. No, I'm just what I've said is I could do that. It's a fuck ton of work, but I could do it. Well, right, and that's yeah. I, I don't think that, I think yes, you can. You could do that with any game, though. Yes, you absolutely could. Absolutely so, good. I mean, absolutely good. I do know. I, um, my buddy Nick likes a very. I think at Nick's core, he likes a very robust game system. He loves Pathfinder. Um, and I've met a couple other folks that, that like uh, Rollmaster because the extensive list of skills, the, um, and I know some other folks that, um, one of the reasons that they hate Call of Cthulhu and they prefer some of the lighter versions of Lovecraftian horror in, or horror games in any shape is because they don't want a big list of skills to fucking sort through, right? They want a much more narrative game, right? Um, Bluebeard's Bride, I don't know it, but I'm fairly certain from what I have read and seen and heard from friends of mine who have played it, it does not have a massive character sheet with, you know, 30, 40, 50 different skills. It's not what that game is about in any way, shape, or form. Could you tell that? Could you do a Bluebeard's Bride story with another system? Probably, but I don't think you'd have the same amount of fun or um, the experience wouldn't be as cool as you would by doing it natively. So I think there are um, there are certain games, very specifically, when I think a horror game in general, Sean, when I say I could do horror with this, 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 genre-wise, yes, you could do that anywhere. But I think sometimes in some of the, um, what people often call the indie space and stuff, there's some very specifically curated games, right? That happen, Night Witches and, and so forth. Could you do it somewhere else? Yeah, but why? Because it's it's so tight, you know. It's 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 built specifically and curated specifically to prov- to provide this experience. You know, it just seems to make sense that that's what you'd want to do is do that thing, right? Which is why I think like a um, a setting like Longmar fits in the Savage Worlds, D and D, DCC, GURPS, lots of different things because it's a setting in a, a type of a genre, mm-hmm. and it does bolt on in one way, shape, or form to those those types of systems. But I think um, something is very fine-tuned as like a Night Witch's Bluebeard's Bride and some of those very specific indie games. I just don't think the amount of work it would take to beat my other game system of choice in a submission so that it actually did that for me. I'd be like, that's a lot of work. (laughs) Quite frankly, I don't have the time, (laughs) which is why I've got a shelf full of stuff over there, right? (laughs) Not that's my D&D shelf, the other one. But anyway. Okay, interesting. 
I honestly thought we were further apart on that, man. I really did. No, Brett. No, we're not. I don't think wow. so. I was wrong. Seven years I've been wrong about you. That's crazy. Well, you know. I got to learn something sometime. Sometimes we're just wrong. Sometimes we are. <laughs> or you are, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I think I'm good. I think this is good. Yeah, you good? good? Yeah, I'm All good. Right, are you good? Let's, I'm good. Let's move on to die roll. All right. Let's go to die roll. Now I know you're not mad at me anymore. So I I'm not. I was. No. Okay. <laughs> no, he's getting mad. Die roll. 2d4 miscellaneous points gaming geeker you want to bring to mm-hmm. your attention. First one up is. Oh, man. What is going Look on? Look at low life 2090. 2090. Yes. Low life. The alpha supplements. Uh, free on drive through. It's a D20 based RPG of cyberpunk and sorcery set in 2090 by Pickpocket Press. Yeah. Steve, our, Steve Grzynicki. Our friend Steve Gradzicki. So check Gradzicki. that out, Low Life 2090. Um, Very cool. It's the first free mini expansion, providing a raft of new options for every lifer, crump, and neller in the vert. Nice. There you go. Check that out. Uh, second one. Oh, boy. I don't know what you think about this, Brett. Oh, the D and D Tavern, D and D Tavern Adventure Castle proposed for Lake Geneva. <sighs> I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know either. Yeah, I. The photos they have are neat. <laughs> Computer generated images that they're, they're I, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll I mean, it's not far happens. from us, so I guess we'll check it out if they ever get it up and running. Yeah, I've always thought I should buy the uh, Wasom Mine, which is a uh, restaurant here in Wasom, Wisconsin. It's a uh, it, it's themed on a mining company because there's there's mining in the area. Sure. So the whole thing is like it's themed like a mine. I joked with my friends ages ago. I said I should, I should like change it and like call it like Duran's Hole or something. Make it a dwarven theme bar. And my friends always said, like, you and who else would go there, man? I'm like, oh, fantasy's coming around. It'll be fine. So. Make good enough food. Serve good enough beer. <laughs> now everyone will show up. It doesn't really like matter what the theme they won't is care. sometimes. They'll show yeah. up and sing, like, and sing like dwarves all the time. Anyway, yeah. what else we got? And then the last one, some dude did some video on how to put um, your Star Wars character into Foundry. So check that out. Yeah, that's that Sean Kelly guy. He's out there doing stuff. Well, I did it. I did this. I didn't realize I had this sitting around, and uh, I I found it on my hard drive and totally forgot I did the video because I did it so that when I did um, when I was running Star Wars and I was going to use Foundry, I could just go go watch this video and then put your character into Foundry. So I did one and I never put it up. So now it's up there for people that are have Foundry and they want to play Star Wars. And if there's there a GM go. out there that's running it and like, hey, I got my player stuff in there, just tell them to go and watch this damn thing. Awesome. And maybe it'll help somebody. So anyways, that's it for die roll. Yeah, cool, man. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Next week is Confusion and Ignorance, the Sean and Brett story. What? Um, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Sean Brett stories a little add on there. But uh, confusion and ignorance, that's what we're going to talk about. 
just leave it there. That's it. I'm not gonna, I don't want to spoil it for you. And you can read the notes. You'll be fine. Now I'm, I'm intrigued, Brett. I hope so. Is this carrying on with the theme of your little study, your thesis? No, this is well a little bit. No, no. Actually, what I what I wanted to do was talk about um, sometimes confusion and ignorance from like like a player's perspective, like where it can be frustrating when you're doing something. Like my character's confused. I'm Brett is confused. <clears throat> is it okay if my character is ignorant of a situation and so forth? And how that. Like, we're doing heavy investigative games, Cthulhu stuff, and um, or even entering a new world. Like, the first time you, if hey, Brett says, hey, I'm going to play an Avalon game. Like, I've heard about it. I know nothing about the setting. You sit down. The confusion and ignorance can be overwhelming sometimes. And there's ways to deal with it and utilize it to help maintain tone and help people out. So, we're, that's what we're going to talk about. Oh. We'll see how it goes. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. Great. We'll see if it works. We'll see if it works. We'll see. <laughs> like everything well, else we've done. Yeah. Thanks for everybody that's shown up live for our recording here on YouTube. We record every eight Monday, typically, unless Brett's up in the northern woods doing something. But typically, we're here at 8 p.m. Central Time, uh, U.S., to record. If not, you can find us at your favorite podcatcher of choice to find the flagship audio show. Appreciate it. Subscribe there as well. If you see this on the YouTube, give us a like and subscribe so you can get notifications. Otherwise, uh, I think that's, oh, be a positive force in the tabletop RPG hobby. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming BS produced with help from the following BSers. Joe Swick, Old School DM, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Chris Steele, Jason Hobbs, Mark Tasaka, Mirko Froelich, Pierre Mongrel, Brett Bozinski, Brandon Barnes, Eileen Barnes, Dan LaValley, Victor Wyatt, Craig Huber, Roger Braslett, Stephen Dragonspawn, Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Jim Fitzpatrick, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Larry Hout, Ron Bishop, Mark Richmond, Chad Gleeman, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Laramie Wall, Eric Avia, Andy Olson, Jeff Seifert, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Aaron Ralea, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Brian Rumble, Rich Wishon, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Cole Kago, Eric Tavola, Hoos Carl, Ghost GM, Mike Hesh Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Phil McClory, Adam Grotejohn, Jay Plata, Ed Nyes, The Duke in Purple, Isaiah Aries Christian, Larry Hollis, AWOL Trooper, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Orcus Dorcas, Chris Shore, Michael O'Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Miniature Master, Kevin Keneally, Zagrave, Fornak, Marty McButterpants, Andrew Lear, Craig Chunglo, Eric Lunsford, Ty Prunty, Feeling Good Lewis, Ziga Paradzik, Nick Westbrook, John Mahoney, Crystal Eggstead, Zolea, and Barry Burkus. ABSers, thanks for all the support over all this time. We really appreciate it. Hey, don't forget BSercon. It's coming up in January. Head over to gamingnbs.com forward slash BSercon. That's B-S-E-R-C-O-N. Make sure you buy a badge. That'll allow you to register for events. We're also taking event submissions. There's concerns about having too many game masters. Can you believe that? Anyways, head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash BSRCon. Participate. It's January 28th to the 30th, virtually online. 
Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production.